You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's the Cooligans, stupid. The World Cup is upon us. Uh-huh. It is uh, it has arrived. It has we've uh, we've already experienced it. Okay, the and now we got to move through the awkwardness of this World Cup and the awkwardness started right away, baby. (laughs) Uh, There is no there's no opening ceremony that's never not awkward. Right. If it's not cringe, did he really do an opening ceremony? Bruh, it's got to be like, let's just get all the local dancing schools together. Uh, as much fabric and fireworks as possible and see what happens. <laughs> and that's kind of what this was. This was one of those, another one of those things where I'm like, there's a lot of interpretive dance happening here and I'm not really sure how to interpret it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something's lost in translation. Uh, <laughs> okay. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Cooligans World Cup Daily. If you are new here. It's the Cooligans, buddy. It is the Cooligans, buddy. We are here. We are part of the Levitard and Friends Network. We are going to be with you throughout the entire World Cup. And this episode is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. My name is Christian Polanco. I'm Alexis Guerreros. Okay. And Alexis, we normally we are both in the same room. Uh, yeah, that's why we rented a studio, so that we'd both be there. Uh, we did a whole thing in preparation for this exact moment, and uh-huh. Alexis is not in the room right now. I'm not really, I'm not really, uh, you know, buying into the whole idea of us being in the same room, <laughs> even though it was my idea. Uh, no, uh, I, I came up a, l- a little sick a little over a week ago, and I was like, I'm fine. I'm sure it's nothing, and it turns out I was not fine, and it was something. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, you got you got hit with the, with the Rona. Yo, bro, and I was like, damn, I was trying to order a beer, my G. <laughs> you got you gave me the wrong one. Nah, uh, worst part is what I ordered. Gave it to my lady, bro. <laughs> she was working in hospitals all two years, nothing. Two years and eight months to the day of the lockdown, nothing. Yeah. And, and then boom, turned out, turned out your patient zero, crazy. Yo. You can you can avoid it in a hospital, but you can't avoid it from a fat, sweaty husband <laughs> sleeping next to you. Apparently, uh, but no, I'm glad to see that you are feeling better uh, and you're you're getting out of that uh, because yeah, I mean yeah, it's a bummer that you're not here, but uh, you know I'm good. This today I'm feeling morning. thank you, and today I'm feeling a lot better. And obviously, I didn't make you sick, which is a, a big relief because uh, you've got a pregnant lady at home. Uh, so yes, uh, I was very, very worried about that, but I'm feeling much, much better today. I'm good today. Past two days have felt way more normal. The only problem is it was just right on that line. Today's the 10th day where yesterday was the 10th day where I'm like, ah, if I'm hanging out with you, plus my lady is sick, it would have been like, adds a little pushing it. Plus we got to get to Atlanta for tomorrow. So yeah, there was a lot happening. So I'm like, you know what, for today, I'm going to just, I'm going to just watch this from home. And the whole time it was my wife with a stuffed nose going, the hell are you watching? Because it was like, like I said, uh, it was Morgan Freeman speaking to someone who looked like he was asking himself questions. <laughs> well, look, I mean, look, the the opening ceremony started. Yes. Morgan Freeman, uh, who is who is a voice pretty much in every film and in every interview. He's you want to know how much how much he is. He was the voice on our bid, the USA bid. For That's this right. World Cup, 
Yeah. So they 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 brought him back. This was the remix, the guitar remix. Uh, They're like, yo, uh, you boys Freeman? lost, but we'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> but Morgan Freeman is always like the voice of reason, the voice of there's a certain wisdom that that comes with, you know, everything he says. And so it felt like, I mean, what that, that, that's a good person to hire to introduce the a, a World Cup that where some people may not be happy with where the World Cup is happening. Funny enough, too, every time he spoke, regardless of what he hasn't said anything yet, the moment his voice starts, the crowd would applaud because he's a superstar. It's Morgan Freeman. The, the, the Penguins. The March of the Penguins, bro. You know? <laughs> okay. This is incredible. Is you know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what put his voiceover career on the map. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know. No, not I glory, guess so. It's for real. Shawshank Redemption. He's one. Yeah, no, he's been in great films. <laughs> he's been in great films. <laughs> but March of Penguins, bro. March of Penguins, obviously. That's uh, that's uh, on top. That's the first thing we always think of. Uh, but no, so the World Cup uh, uh, kicked off, and there was a there was a controversy even before the um, be, before the opening ceremony even started because everybody's trying to handle and try to figure out how they're gonna uh, cover this World Cup and broadcast it. Um, you know, Fox, they're doing their thing. You know, we have, you know, people, uh, analysts and friends and every, you know, they're doing their thing. They're doing, they're just treating it like this is any other World Cup. But if you watch the BBC, they were like, bro, yeah. as soon as they, they didn't show the opening ceremony uh, on BBC, they also, uh, Gary Lineker opened the, the uh, you know, I think the, the broadcast basically saying like, Yo, World Cup has a lot of problems. Yeah, we're covering it, uh, uh, highlighting all the human rights issues and human rights uh, uh, abuses, and and it, and it angered some people because they they feel like that's not the way it should have been covered, or they feel like there's some hypocrisy there. Uh, but it, uh, you know, World Cups usually don't start like this. Is my main point. I mean, look. When you, when you, two things, they're going to say, well, England lost, you know, they lost the bid. Remember, don't forget, Beckham was part of their bid. It was a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of expectation that it would be USA and England that would win this. So maybe there's uh, some sour grapes in the way it's being covered, but also hey, there's a lot of reasons why you want to cover it this way. <laughs> you know, we've talked about it before. There's a, I know, you know, Gary Neville's like, what are you talking about? Three people died. That's it. That's what I was paid to say. And that's what I'm going to say. So I get that. You know what I mean? I get that there's that sentiment, but there's also a lot of reasons why. And look, this has been brought up. This isn't the only World Cup that's ever had its fair share of controversies. But I would say this is the first World Cup within that's been kind of granted or, or, you know, won and built and put on through the social media era. So a lot of these things are brought to light way more than yeah. what was it 1978 Argentina. We ain't worried about 1978 Argentina, bro. That already happened. This one is probably the most controversial, and there was still a lot of controversy around Russia as well as uh, as well. But this one is probably the most controversial. So some people are going to take that tact. I yeah, do somebody... understand. I understand people saying like, "Hey, man, let's not turn this into a political thing. Yeah. Let's just enjoy so... a competition." But BBC was like, "What if we do the exact opposite?" <laughs> <laughs> just real lean in okay bro what if we remind everyone of the atrocities uh, somebody right off the question rip because i was watching the game here uh with, with some friends shout out to everybody who came through um but the 
I got to ask this question, like, essentially, like, from a sentimental standpoint, how do you feel about this World Cup? And and my answer was essentially the way I feel about, like, NWSL, where NWSL, especially in the last year, has had a lot of controversy, a lot of uh, real issues that that are very, very upsetting. And and I think about the the tweet from, I I think it was uh, Bixby, right, for the, the, the Thorns goalkeeper. And she basically said, she, you know, she's aware of everything that's going on, but she she put out a plea to to the fans saying like, hey, we need we need the fans at at our playoff game. Like it, it just won't be the same without the fans there. And that's kind of how I feel about this World Cup, where there's there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, and I'm trying to to, to support the players because the players don't decide where the World Cup is played. It's it's not up to them. This is a uh, it's still very much a dream to play in this tournament. For a lot of people that are there, a lot of people that that we know that are that are playing in it, and that's yep. that's where my heart is. I'm like, I'm just going to support these players and and and, and hope for for their success because all the political stuff outside of it is, of course, something that should be addressed. But the the positive that I'm taking out of it is that you know, especially for the U.S. men's national team, this is their first World Cup for a lot of those guys there. So I'm just trying to be. Happy and supportive about that. Everyone except Yedlin. This is their first World Cup. Correct. Correct. You know? How so, crazy uh, is that? Yeah. Because uh, DeAndre Yedlin is the DeMarcus Beasley of the 2022 USMNT roster. <laughs> Actually, somehow it's Tim Ream at 35 years old gets his first World Cup. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. But you know what? What you did remind me there is that we have friends in the World Cup. Now, that's probably the most important thing. How crazy <laughs> why is, is that? that? Why aren't they highlighting that? <laughs> Yo, BBC, you got all this extra time if you're not doing the opening <laughs> ceremonies, bro. Why don't you talk about the real news, which is the Cooligans have homies. We can you text highlight people the fact that Matt Turner follows us on Instagram, okay? Bro, and DMs us back, bro. <laughs> all right. Sean Johnson, the homie. Man. I talk uh, cars. So the, the World Cup did kick off uh, uh, with Qatar versus Ecuador. They 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 rescheduled this match. Remember, they wanted uh, Qatar wanted their 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 own day, uh, and for, they got it for, for this. Gianni and- Infantino said no, uh, and they did it. <laughs> then uh, Gianni Infantino said, "You can't stop selling Budweiser at the game," and they did it. <laughs> and then, but we didn't even talk about Gianni Infantino's super weird uh, conference. Oh, that's right. The today, today I feel gay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Today I feel black. Today I feel <laughs> a migrant worker. And he said he understands discrimination because he was a redhead with freckles. But the man has both no hair or freckles left. So <laughs> discrimination over, bro. A long time. Well, yo, you lying? I think I'm. I think we're being catfished by Johnny yeah. Dino, bro. <laughs> yo, so you you look like a movie villain now, but the movie villain you used to look like was the Chucky doll. <laughs> That's what you tell me. Bro, I don't know, dude. I don't know if I, I don't know where I'm swiping on this dude because this is. I'm confused, bro. Yeah, it was it was odd. And at first, I thought like, oh, he must be doing this to kind of throw it in the Qataris' faces for them switching up the whole Budweiser thing. And the rumor is that he's sort of lost control of this tournament, the Qataris now control it, which isn't supposed to happen. It's supposed to be a FIFA event. And I thought that's where it was going. But then he used it to say, like, this is why you shouldn't discriminate <laughs> against the Qataris. Yeah. I mean, it was and, so and, confusing. There have been there's been so much um, 
of the uh, you know journalists trying to film in certain places there's uh, friends of ours that are that are trying to just like take video or and photograph in, in, in around doha and do their right. jobs like, and, 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 and here we are story. today standing outside of, nope we're going to jail sorry <laughs> so, you know you and you see like uh, uh qatari uh officials or 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 police officers telling people like yo you can't film here and all this other stuff and 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 that, that's how it is like you know, you this is this is not new. This tactic of like, oh no, you know what? Give us the World Cup. Don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be fine. Yeah, you know, whatever. Like, you will beer, beer. Come on, what? What's a country without beer? What's a World Cup without beer? And then two days look, before look, the we, World Cup, we got beer. We just ain't gonna let you buy it. But <laughs> but we got it. We got it. We didn't say you didn't say anything about buying it. We oh, have you it. Said, you and, said you want to consume uh, it. There was Ooh, that thing, I should have heard that. <laughs> they highlighted the that point that so beer is not available at the stadiums, but the but they are in like the luxury suites, which are like nineteen thousand euros per ticket or something like that. Like whatever. I mean, it's it's it is what it is, bro. Like like if you're not part of the 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 wealthy elite, you you can't you can't even get have a sip of the Budweiser. They're not even giving giving you a little bit of it, which is. Kind of ironic <laughs> when you think about it. It's, it's incredible. So the uh, but yeah, that, that seems to be look leading up to up to the, the to the mat, the first match today. Hearing all these stories about journalists getting stopped uh, from doing their jobs and and the beer uh, uh, not being available at stadiums and it was just all popped up a couple of days before the tournament. Uh, and and it just leads to just more examples of why obviously the World Cup probably shouldn't be there. Um, maybe well, this see, is some with, sort of lesson for the future. Uh, probably not. It, it's nope. It's not a lesson. Who, and no one's gonna be mad at. Ain't no one gonna learn from this, bro. They're gonna <laughs> get paid again. Uh, I do have a question for you though. Did it kind of because the World Cup isn't starting with like multiple matches in one day and. You know, there there's all this sort of additional stuff that you have to sort of consider before even watching it. Did it feel different for you? Did you enjoy it less? Um, I I don't think it had anything to do with not it not being multiple matches. I mean, I think the the heavy handedness of like the opening ceremony of like the constantly preaching unity and respect, and we're all different tribes that are here to learn from each other i'm like all right i i mean i get what you're doing it's not right. it's you know you, you can't hide this i mean the, the criticism i think is fair of 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 everything going on in the world cup and and just like infantino's press conference where he's basically just pleading with everybody like stop criticizing qatar the world cup is here it was decided 12 years ago let's just basically Go move on with our lives and do what we got to do. And it's right. not just going to wrap. The World Cup is not just going to wrap up with like, wow, Qatar, what a beautiful. We didn't know about this city and, and we didn't know uh, about this country. And look how cool it is. How they put on. It's not just it's not. It shouldn't just be a, a PR tourism board, uh, you know, or, or, or campaign for for Qatar. Like this fair criticism and they and he has to deal with it. I mean, he he he. I I don't know how much involved he was in the war. He you know he wasn't the FIFA president at the time. No. But you can't just be like, stop criticizing Qatar. That that's not that cannot be the move, and that's not a good representation of of, of the the president of FIFA. 
I mean, it reminds me of when my mother would like pull me out of like a family party and she'd be like, look, we don't like these people either. Okay. But (laughs) we have to be at this party. And then if you're good, if you're good, we'll leave and go to McDonald's. Okay. (laughs) But for now, can you just please just put a smile on and get through the event? And that's kind of, it's like two families who don't like each other and their children are marrying. And one of them's name is Alexis and the other one is Donna. No, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. this is kind of like, the, this is, look, let's just get through the reception, bro. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so let's talk about the game real quick. Obviously, Qatar did uh, uh, lose to uh, Ecuador. Uh, I'm, I don't have an Ecuador kit, but I'm rocking my Colombia kit because it's the closest thing i have right uh right. And all ecuador, their flags are the same color <laughs> ecuador was uh la, la gran colombia uh mm-hmm. at one point um so the uh uh so the so ecuador uh dominant and valencius uh, gets uh two goals and and i the, the the weird thing to me and i think we we spoke about this on the show i don't know if it was you or somebody else I think Ecuador is going to do fairly well in this World Cup, and for some reason, some people don't think they were because because of the the, the you know they play in Comebol and blah, blah blah. They only play the same teams or whatever, but the same teams are Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, uh, the, uh, Colombia, the gigantic absolute right. powerhouses. The teams in, everyone in else fears football. are the teams they have to constantly play. <laughs> so, uh, but also, I mean, you got to see how strong defensively they were. Um, I think they're what the third best defensive team in the in the tournament. So they're clearly to be feared. And they, if you got in Valencia, this dude will score onside, offside, upside, downside, bro. Dude, yeah. This dude he will was, score I mean, the, the goals that were turned uh, that that were turned back uh, or taken back by VAR, which I thought were fair. I, I think there was one that was a little bit controversial, but I, you know, I it, I, I don't think it was going to make much of a difference. My main takeaway from this game was Qatar is bad, I, and and they played in the Gold Cup, and that's when you know I saw them for the first time, and they were pretty good in the in the Gold Cup, but maybe against Concacaf competition, maybe that's sort of the level that they're at. Um, but they they looked they looked. I I wouldn't say that they just simply looked bad. I would say that they looked nervous. And you you noticed it with like a lot, they were losing the ball, taking two when they were going one v one, they were just like uh taking heavy touches and giving up the ball fairly easily. Uh, again, Ecuador is Ecuador, they're very good and they're but they Qatar could barely create any real chance. Uh they they there wasn't really any real stretch of time where I felt that they were in this game. And I, I thought Ecuador was going to win like four or five nothing. Uh, so I was surprised that it was only it only ended up two nil. Yeah, I thought it was pretty obviously. You know, look, Ecuador was very clearly doing what it does, and I think Qatar never really established who they are, what they do. You know, from everything we saw, they were going to do the you know defending a low block, try to counter. Uh, their best scorer, I think, has something like eight goals uh, in international competition. Uh, recently, I'm not exactly sure the stat. I don't know why I even started talking about it, but <laughs> I know their best score isn't necessarily like, you know, not the, the the greatest score on earth. You know, it's not like they have like a, a diamond in the midfield either. Uh, there's nothing there that says like, this is how, this is how we're going to play is we're going to get the ball to this guy or this guy's going to unlock the, def- the defense. But what I saw in the gold cup was that when they get the ball, they can maintain possession 
they can at the very least spring an attack. And we saw none of that. I think it was the whole entire first half. They didn't have a shot at all. Uh, It was just, it was rough. It was, it was an embarrassment really. When you think about it, this being the first, the first game you're playing in front of your nation as a host of a world cup, that was kind of embarrassing. It it was not a good idea to reschedule the whole tournament to start with just them because I had I knew this is what it was going to be there's no yeah maybe they they underestimated it maybe it was just like a good financial opportunity to have them uh, on you know have their own game uh the you know the, the host nation have their first game just they were just bad i mean i don't think that you know i don't think anybody would have i don't think anybody is surprised by this result but the you know, seeing the seeing the Qatari people in the stands when the camera's cutting to them and then just head in their hands, they're just like, it, like I don't it, for for whatever reason, I, it's like they the 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 emotion. I know you know people were making this claim that they hired like fake fans from different countries and to to support and like if that's real or not, sure, I don't know. Um, I didn't get a call. I would have happy been rooting for Qatar, bro. <laughs> How much money? But the the um, when they would cut to um, I don't know what the 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 clothing is called that that the garb that they wear. Um, but when they was cutting to them and they were like you know miserable about it, it just looks like a like a like a Middle Eastern prince who's who's who who just lost money at in FTX? You know what I mean? Like they just—it seems like a—they're not. It's not that just Qatar is losing; it's that it's hurting them financially that they're losing. It's just—it's hard to like connect emotionally exactly with who is involved in Qatar from a from a financial perspective and who's involved in Qatar from like as a nationalistic pride perspective. Right. I look at the end of the day, you got your own day, but. <laughs> Oof, that result is not what you wanted. And the thing is, it's not like you lost in the last second. It's not like they won momentum in the 70th, but you had 70 minutes where you showed your country, you know, could play well. Bro, it was an embarrassment from the moment you started. Your goalkeeper looked like he was told what a goalkeeper should do moments before the game. <laughs> Which is weird. They, they looked really good in Gold Cup. Uh, so Were they I, different I the players? Was a little too big. <laughs> in Gold Cup? Were they different players in Gold Cup? Like, what happened? Well, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of the same dudes, but... Uh, which, that was it didn't look 20, this bad. 19? When was yeah. that? 20... Might be 2021. That was last year, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, there was a Gold Cup in 2019 as well. There are there obviously are every two years. Um but yeah, it was uh, just like they had they had no shot. I think from the beginning, when the goal got turned back three minutes in, uh, you got the sense that Ecuador was uh, was serious about this and that the quality was just a little bit too high for uh, Qatar. So uh, so that that so that's day one of the World Cup. Definitely not without its share of uh, of controversy and stories and and you know what and at the very least a pretty entertaining game i was i, I thought the game was a lot more um f- it was more fun than i expected it to be it was you know it wasn't a uh a pitcher's duel uh everybody playing defensive both teams were just like yo let's let's just do this and, and let's, yeah. let's have a good time and uh ecuador definitely showed out okay um we got to get to we have an interview today uh, that we got to get to uh, uh, Clint Smith. Some, uh, you know, we we posted on Patreon the 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 full extended interview, but uh, uh, so we have uh, Clint Smith 
with us uh, in a moment. And Clint Smith is a is an author, is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, he is a poet. He is uh, friends with Aaron West also. And uh, and uh, but but a great dude. He wrote uh, an incredible book, and you'll hear more about it. But uh, uh, I, I want to make sure I mention Clint is uh, writing a newsletter uh, throughout the World Cup for the Atlantic. So please go check that out. Uh, just Google Clint Smith, the Atlantic. You'll find it. Uh, I already read his first piece, and it's uh, and it's awesome. So please go check that out and uh, and and have a listen. Uh, check out our conversation with author Clint Smith. All right, I am excited for today's show. This is an show. honor. This is an absolute honor because we are joined uh, by an, a, a New York Times best-selling author, which we is crazy. It's pretty crazy. We usually on don't our get... show, a poet <laughs> is about to be on our show. There are people that are that are tuning in right now, and they're honestly going to be like. Yo, why is he talking to these dudes? That's yeah, yeah, why, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo, he needs to fire his publicist. <laughs> but not only do we have a best-selling author uh, and poet, uh, I think he's also most well-known for being Aaron West's friend. So yeah, this is pretty top cool. Of the, top of the resume, for sure. <laughs> First line. Uh, but we are joined uh, and honored uh, to have Clint Smith. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Aaron, Aaron probably didn't tell you the story about how, you know, it's it's wild because, you know, yesterday I watched him on uh, Paramount Plus and he was like a, a commentator, a pundit on, on an Arsenal game. And we, you know, when I met Aaron, I was 17. He was, I guess, 19. I was being recruited by Davidson College. Uh, which is where he went. Maybe, That's right. Which is where he went. Um, yeah. Steph Curry is our, our claim to fame. For those who mm-hmm. confuse us otherwise with with Dickinson or Denison or any of those other any of those other D liberal arts schools, um, but he he brought me uh, he was the person I stayed with on my recruiting visit, um, oh, wow. and and so it's like it's just wild to to see the way that he has is you know we used to sit in the locker room because that's the only place back in what two thousand five two thousand six that would get. Uh, you know, Fox Sports so- or Fox Soccer, the Fox Soccer Channel, so- Fox Soccer could, Plus, yeah, yeah where yeah, you could yeah. watch, uh, where you could watch the English English Premier League games, and so we could all go to the locker room and like watch Arsenal, and um, and now this man is on TV getting paid to talk about oh. Arsenal. It's it's unreal. Isn't it crazy? Wearing a turtleneck, a sweater, Wearing and a chains turtleneck. on the outside, <laughs> gold chains, turtleneck bro. and chain, bro. Man. He looks like he's about to introduce the newest bootleg iPhone. He's ready. <laughs> He's yeah, absolutely incredible. <laughs> the, glow, the, the glow up is is real for both of you because I I, I was looking up um you know on Twitter I searched Clint Smith and Aaron West to see what the the communication is like publicly <laughs> and there's when, when you when you tweeted about being number one on the New York Times bestseller list uh he 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 tweeted uh I don't even have a roast I'm just happy for you I'm like wow they, yeah, I mean man. that That's must impossible. mean. That must mean that the roast must be so severe that he has to highlight that he is not roasting you. There's one day of the year that I didn't, don't get roasted in the group chat, and that was when I was number one New York Times bestseller. But the next day, they went right back to it. They went right back the to next it. next day. They were like, right this is a, a, a holiday. This is a, a reprieve for you. Uh, right. And then, then afterwards, you know, you got you to gotta have the homies who keep you humble. So. Yes, <laughs> very much so. so. They will remind wanna... you you wore that shirt that one time. Forever. <laughs> Don't look, I, was, I thought you were going to say you were looking up pictures for, of us from when we were uh, college kids, which you shouldn't do that. We, it, was, which, it was a mess. 
Yeah, I've already seen a couple, and I'll probably add them in post. But I'll I'll look because I've seen a couple of them posted. But uh, yeah, yeah, you guys, you got you guys had a look, an image of the time. You know what you I know? mean? Yeah. I mean, it was the time of like triple XL <laughs> tall tees. And, I was about to say, were y'all uh, counting stacks in your white tees? Damn, was, my white tees. Yeah, clearly we went hard at Davidson College. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a wild sponsored wild by time. Galaxy Tees. Let's go. <laughs> if you want them good quality, you got to get Galaxy, bro. Right. So, uh, so I want to get started by I, I, we have to talk about your book. It, it is uh, incredible. I did uh, read the book, and you know, I, look. I mean, like like a lot of people, a lot of people have said this, but I was absolutely uh, floored. I mean, there is for those a, of you who don't know what book we're talking about is how the word is passed. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a very powerful book. Uh, number one uh, bestseller. Right, right, right. So, so I, I want to make sure. So, I, I, I just want to give my impression of it because there is, there is a, a little bit of, you know, I think. So, I'm, uh, I'm Dominican. Alexis is Cuban, and so our, like, even our, we're both born here, but our connection to, uh, Black history or African American history might be a little bit different coming from a Caribbean sort of perspective. So when I read, when I read books like this, I tend to learn a lot because I was not informed of a lot of this information. But I think the first impression was uh, your uh, uh, chapter, it's one of the early chapters about uh, Thomas Jefferson, right? And the, 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 how slavery was viewed at the time mm -hmm. and how people uh, kind of operated under like, yeah, it's bad, but that's how things kind of are. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so I, I want to talk about when you were doing your research for the book and kind of hearing about all these specifics and these perspectives. What was your take on what people thought of slavery at the time? Yeah, I mean, it, it might be helpful to give a sort of uh, a little bit of background about the book. So as, as you said, the, the book is called How the Word is Passed, A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America. And it started uh, in 2017 when I was watching several Confederate statues come down in my hometown in New Orleans, statues of P.G.T. Beauregard, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee. And I was watching these statues come down and I was thinking about what it meant that I grew up in a majority black city in which there were more homages to enslavers than there were to enslaved people. And what are the implications of that? What does it mean that to get to school, I had to go down Robert E. Lee Boulevard to get to the grocery store? I had to go down Jefferson Davis Parkway that my middle school was named after a leader of the Confederacy that my parents still live on a street today named after someone who owned over 150 enslaved people. Because the thing is, we know that symbols and names and iconography aren't just symbols. They're reflective of the stories that people tell. And those stories shape the narratives that communities carry. And those narratives shape public policy. And public policy shapes the material conditions of people's lives. Which isn't to say that, you know, you just take down a 60-foot-tall statue of Robert E. Lee and you suddenly get rid of the racial wealth gap. But it does help us recognize the sort of ecosystem of ideas and stories and narratives that help us understand what's happened throughout American history and help us understand the ways that certain communities and certain groups of people have been disproportionately and intentionally harmed throughout American history. And so I was thinking about my city. I was thinking about New Orleans. I was thinking about how New Orleans was at one point the largest and busiest slave market in the country. And I had no idea about that growing up. Right. And that I went past these statues of these men who literally fought a war predicated on maintaining and expanding the institution of slavery, maintaining and expanding, you know, bondage over my ancestors and had no conception of like who they were. And so I started to ask a lot of questions like, well, how is the history of slavery being told and taught 
not only in schools, but also through our public landscape, right? Through our monuments, through the memorials, through the museums, through the the plaques and all of these things that shape um, the the sort of landscape of, of, again, iconography that we see. And I started in New Orleans and then kind of went across the country visiting plantations, prisons, cemeteries, memorials, uh, monuments, and, and try to get a real sense of like, what are the places that are telling the story honestly? What are the places that are running from their responsibility to tell this story and what are the places that are kind of doing something in between and talking about you know monticello was one of the first places i went and i wanted to go there because you know jefferson is kind of like this uh microcosm he's like this personification of the larger story of america which is to say that america is a place that has provided unparalleled unimaginable opportunities for millions of people across generations in ways that their ancestors could have never imagined and it has also done so at the direct expense of millions and millions of other people who have been intergenerationally subjugated and oppressed. And both of those things are the story of America. It's not one over here or one over there. It's that you have to hold both of those realities alongside one another. And Jefferson is someone who sort of embodies that cognitive dissonance or those those conflicts of interest, which is to say he is a person who uh, wrote one of the most important documents in the history of the Western world and also enslaved over 600 people over the course of his lifetime, including four of his own children that he had by an enslaved woman on his plantation, Sally Hemings. He's someone who wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, and then wrote in his book Notes on the State of Virginia that black people are likely inferior to whites in both endowments of body and mind, right? And so part of what I wanted to do when I went to these places was to get a sense of like, well, how does a place like Monticello, which is responsible for uh, communicating and conveying the legacy of Jefferson and the legacy of this land, are they telling a sort of two-dimensional story of Jefferson, the way that I was taught about Jefferson growing up as being this this president, this intellectual hero, this great man? Um, or are they telling a more complicated and more honest story about who Jefferson was that, that takes seriously the fact that he was in many ways the intellectual founding father of this country, but also the fact that he was an enslaver, right? And, and separated families and had people beaten um, and, and in had a relationship when he was in his 40s with a teenage uh, enslaved woman that bore several children, right? In ways that we can't understand as in any way other than being coerced, given that it's an enslaver and his enslaved property. So yeah, it's kind of like me trying to go to all these places and get a sense of how these places tell the story of the history that happened on that land. And how do the, how do we understand, to your point, what happened then as compared to how we tell the story about what happened then now. I mean, these conversations have been going uh, at least way more in the mainstream uh, alongside where sort of you kind of got the inspiration for this book right around that era where these statues are coming down and whatnot. Um, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. I, you know, there's no connection with me with seeing sort of the, you know, the the ruins, if you will, or the the, the markings of slavery outside of, hearing about it in school. Christian and I in 2018 did an eight city tour, part of which was in Virginia. Mm. Um, we're driving from Richmond to Virginia beach. And part of that was to drive through Charlottesville. And I was like, Oh my God, those are the statues that are on the news. Mm. And then as we're driving and I brought it up and I think it surprised some of the people in the car with us that are from that area that I was so drawn aback by it. And then we drove through an area where there was no buildings. And I was like, yo, why aren't there buildings over there? Like, I'm just being like a dude from the East Coast. I'm like, yo, that's, you should develop this area. It's like on the water. And then someone goes, well, you can't. That was the slave market. You're not allowed to build there. And mm-hmm. I was just like, 
I mean, in my brain, the car crashed. That's how mm. I was like, a what? Like, yeah, I've yeah. just never experienced it. And I think it, it made people uncomfortable because they're like, well, we're not like that. I'm like, I'm not saying you're like, it. I'm just shocked that that's there. Yeah. You haven't grown up in the South. Did I don't know if this has become more apparent to you in your life or whatnot, but there is a strong, it feels like this fairly horrific but important part of our culture hasn't really really been taught to the majority of americans in the same way when i talk to someone from south africa they're like oh no we did a lot of soul searching and coming to terms with what we've done after the fall of apartheid we yeah. it feels like we never did that has that become more apparent to you in your life is is do you think this book might help sort of bridge some of those gaps yeah i mean a couple things one it's it's really fascinating to hear you talk about that in part because one you know virginia is absolutely you know it was the center of the confederacy right and it was uh a place that was central to the like america in so many ways blossomed out of colonial virginia right it kind of expanded from there that was that was in so many ways you know with jamestown and and everything it was kind of the centerpiece of the american project especially in its earliest days and and so it makes sense, given its history, that there, there's so much, there's so many places. I mean, there's no place in Virginia that doesn't have a relationship to slavery, right? Like that, it is scarred into the landscape of that state in on every single street, in every part of its soil, in every tree, everywhere. What's interesting, though, is that like there's a history of slavery in New Jersey. There's a history of slavery in New York. Right. Like New York City was at one point the second largest slave market in the country after Charleston. Mm -hmm. And and so it, it's interesting to think about the ways that that history is like talked about and memorialized. And I don't know the extent to which like when you were growing up, that was a part of the discourse. Right. Because I think for so except for me growing up in the South, it was like slavery was this thing that happened in the South and didn't happen in the North and sort of the the sort of moral uh the the thing that undergirded that um that was kind of implicit within it was like oh the north was the good guys and the south were the bad guys um and it's like that doesn't fully account for the sort of complex way that slavery existed in different iterations all across america right like new york is not a place that uh that didn't have its own relationship to slavery. Even people were enslaved in New York. And even when people were no longer enslaved in New York after gradual emancipation, people in New York were the ones who, it was the banks in New York who financed slavery. It was the insurance companies in New York who provided the, the collateral. It was the um, political infrastructure of New York. In 1861, the mayor of New York City, Fernando Wood, proposed to the rest of the uh, the government he said that we should secede from the Union alongside with South Carolina, Alabama, Virginia, all these states of the Confederacy, because their social and political uh, interests were so deeply entwined and, in, and ingrained in the slaveocracy of the South. So it's fascinating because I think so many people who grow up in that region don't even have a sense of their own state's connection to uh, this this history in like a really profound way. Yeah, we that, really that was, don't. All we yeah, were taught that, is if a slave made it past the border of the North, they were good. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, that's just, literally all we were taught. It was, it was super chill when they got up here. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, come Everything home, was all dude. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come play they, some PlayStation. Have you tried Latin food? Like, we're just waiting for them. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite, um, or at least, like, very interesting parts about the book, about just the the foundation of economy. The, the American economy was really, really so tied to slavery. And, mm-hmm. and that part is uh, really what is, you know, definitely not uh, really uh, taught. But when you were giving the specifics about uh, insurance, insurance companies and banks that are very much still around today that uh, built their wealth on uh, slavery and still have records of slaves being transferred to other people or other banks and and you you realize like you you know we think of these um you know giant corporations and and, and especially insurance companies you just think like oh they they've always existed in our lives and Mm -hmm. they're they've always been big and then when i i'm reading your book i'm like man that's how they got so influential and powerful uh, uh just on on human capital yeah no, absolutely. And, and I think to your point about the economy, I mean, it's hard to overstate the extent to which the bodies and the work of enslaved people made the United States a global economic superpower. In 1860, the four million enslaved black people in this country were worth more than every bank, factory and railroad combined. Right. Like worth more than all the manufacturing in this country combined were the bodies of enslaved people the year before the Civil War began. So this was not like a sort of um, peripheral part of the American economy. This is like what made the American economy go. Um, and, and it's what in many ways contributed to the, the global economy, right? Because America is, is, is this becoming the central trading hub for the rest of the world. Um, and so many of the things that are being traded, even if they are not directly produced by enslaved people, uh, they are part of the sort of uh, domestic ecosystem of trade that is impossible to to have without the work of, of enslaved folks. Uh, look, I'm glad I, uh, that I think these conversations are starting to be had. And, uh, you know, you know, it is all, all falls into like people talking about critical race theory and, and trying to uh, be more transparent and honest, especially about the 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 shame that this country holds because i think it, it you know it's an opportunity to move forward in a very positive way i, I do want to connect this to soccer in one way in uh, obviously the the world cup is coming up it, it is in qatar and there people and nothing's ha- gone nothing. wrong with this there's <laughs> no, been the, completely the, the, innocuous I benign the PR i can't <laughs> figure out how you're going to connect this to slavery actually christian but, but uh, i, I want to just uh, get maybe your uh uh, uh perception of what you know, all, all the stories you're hearing about, you know, people are calling it modern day slavery of what happens, um, uh, you know, you know, in Qatar and how these stadiums get built. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing the work to kind of have those conversations. Um, you know, Grant Wall it, it already started a piece where he was interviewing workers at the ho- at the hotels that work at the World Cup that are that are housing people for, for the World Cup. And some of them are like, you know, they say this is, you know, uh, uh, that they have a terrible experience. They don't enjoy coming to work. And then some say like, hey, this is it sucks, but this is what I have to do. I, ha- you know, I have to give my passport to my employer or, you know, yeah, it's difficult to move from job to job. But, you know, I have to take care of my country 
you know, back in Thailand or back in India and stuff like that. So what, what, is, what are your thoughts when you think about such a, uh, obviously a global uh, uh, sporting event being uh, connected to, to things like this? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm so glad that, that Grant wrote that piece and, and Grant's such a, you know, the soccer world is, is lucky to have, you know, a journalist um, like Grant who's, who, who I think really digs into the complexities of something like that and doesn't allow it to be, it's not, you know, in his piece, it's, it's clearly, as you point to, like, it's not a black and white kind of thing, right? Like there's a lot of texture and nuance that has to be teased out. You know, I think what can be true, and this is, speaks to the workers in Qatar, but also workers generally uh, around the world is that like, it can be true that one really needs a job in order to get money to send back to their families. Um, and it can be true that someone is grateful to have a job that gives them money for themselves and for their families. That in and of itself does not mean that you have not also been exploited, right? Like that in and of itself does not also mean that you have not been taken advantage of. That in and of itself does not also mean that you are in working in an environment that represents like a potentially fatal threat to, to you and your life. And so I think we, you know, we talked about with Jefferson, like holding multiple truths, I think with, you know, workers in Qatar, like that's also a, a thing that we have to hold that some of them may both be grateful for the job. Uh, and also that that doesn't mean that the, the things that are exploitative and violent and dangerous about it aren't, aren't still there. I mean, we see this throughout so many countries across the world. Um, we see that in, you know, there in America is not, um, immune to that by any means. Um, there's definitely jobs where that, uh, in which that's the case, you know, here, here as well. So, you know, it, it does become a sort of like morally tricky enterprise to try to like, all right, how do I ethically navigate? Like how to think about yeah. and talk about the world cup, <laughs> And I don't, but I also, and I don't mean this as a like, well, fuck it, like whatever, but I, but I don't know what it means to watch any FIFA sponsored event and not <laughs> right, feel right. like some sort of like, right, you know, right. oh man, like, you know, there's, it, it's such a corrupt organization. There's bribes everywhere. There's like people taking money out of this pot and putting it in the, that pot or putting it in their pockets. Or, you know, we just had the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Right. And, and people are like, I had no idea that Vladimir Putin was this kind of person. Like Vladimir Putin's been the same person for the last however many, mm -hmm. you know, so so like it, it's not as if this is the first time that FIFA has like placed spectators in a position where we're like watching something that we also feel kind of kind of icky about but like you know what and you and you try to say like i have these values but at the same time i really want to watch the world cup or i really want to travel here but they this place has laws in place that are like run counter to any notion of justice that i believe in right and and i think there are a lot of places like that and and i think the most important thing to do is to be uh is just to name it Right. And so and, and just to say, like, this is uh, for people to name in the same way that people uh, were talking about, you know, what it meant like to be an LGBTQ person in Russia wasn't wasn't better in 2018 than it is now. 
Um, but you have to, but there were people who were like, this is, you know, at once enjoying the world cup and also saying like, this isn't right. And I think it's gotta be the same thing with, uh, Qatar, but it is, the whole thing is just strange, man. It's in the winter. And then you saw, I'm sure y'all saw that, that sign of like all the things that weren't allowed. Right. Um, right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Everything that's fun and you can enjoy about life was on that sign. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. They, I mean, it was like you turned it around. I was like, no hot pockets. Or I'm like, no pan, no pancakes, Damn. no joy. <laughs> really? Yeah, you yeah, gonna, yeah. You're going to take Pop-Tarts from me? It's the only Truly. joy I have. <laughs> Truly. You can only have the but plain are, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> but you are allowed Vuvuzelas, which is like, why are we keeping the bad things? That's the one thing that we should have banned. Yes. Uh, Okay, um, a couple of quick. But things. you are also you are yeah you are also a soccer fan. You are also a big Arsenal fan. Yeah, that's How what do you I was going so to get about the season. Gooner, Mikel Arteta, the greatest Gooner. manager of all time. I are believe. <laughs> I believe in the trust the process, baby. Um, <laughs> have you been? Have you been Arteta in this whole time? I've not been explicitly Arteta out. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. You're not. You're not I've true. Been, we'll get proof of this. You're from not the on group Arsenal chat. fan TV screaming. All right. I'm not on Arsenal fan TV. <laughs> Um, no, no yo, I mean, need, it's, honestly, yo, Clint Smith on Arsenal fan TV would blow everybody's mind, bro. They would be man, like, yo, it would I, be pretty wild. <laughs> There'll be a call. I mean, what you'd there. be saying would be more well thought out than anything else. I've been on Arsenal fan <laughs> TV. Calming presence. I was just riffing, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, this season's been unbelievable. I'm, I'm tired. Like, Aaron will tell you that, like, <laughs> every year, with the exception of last year where we started, we lost our first three games and had, didn't score a goal. But every other year, they give you the thing. You know, Arsenal fans know they give you that little bit of hope. You're like, this is gonna be the year. This is gonna be the season. I feel it. This is gonna be. And then I, I say it in the group chat, and Aaron is like, shut up, stop jinxing it, don't say anything. I'm tired of you. Um, as if I am to blame for the downfall of us to, you know, having been a. Mid- Can I tell you something? I'm not in the group bro. chat, but now I'm gonna blame you for when our season <laughs> falls apart, bro. Truly, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying Prince to. I'm trying to keep man? it. I, so I haven't said it. I haven't said. I just do eye emojis after we win. That's all. That's what I just send some yeah, eye emojis. Okay. I'm like, okay, you know, you know, let's see. It's you know, I became an Arsenal fan. Um, actually, writing a piece about this now for the Atlantic. Um, I watched the 1998 World Cup when I was I was 10 years old, and and like many black kids playing soccer in the 90s in in uh, the United States, I was the only black kid on my soccer team, and I was watching France play. And they had this guy, this 20-year-old, uh, Thierry Henry. And I was mm-hmm. watching them play, and he scored this beautiful goal in, like, the 90th minute against uh, South Africa, I think, in their first game. And I was – I didn't, hadn't watched a lot of soccer up to that point. I just remember I, like, had a grilled cheese sandwich and was, like, sitting in front of the TV and, you know, was caught the end of the game. And it was such a beautiful goal. And also, I was like, oh, he looks like me. And I was so like I didn't have the language I don't think to to sort of like tease that out when I was ten, but I was so drawn to to him as a player, um, and so drawn to the fact that like we shared a complexion in a sport in which so few people shared my complexion. And I was watching France versus South Africa, which is like black people all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like you know it was like just Emmanuel Petit who was the only white person on the field basically. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then. And so then I followed on Henri's career, and then he ended up at Arsenal. And my mom uh, went to a conference for work in London, I think that next year. 
and she was in a car in a cab and she was like oh my you know my kid loves soccer i'm trying to bring him back a soccer jersey because apparently they like soccer in england or whatever and <laughs> and she asked the cabbie and she was like hey like i'm trying to get my son uh a soccer jersey and he was I think he was like upset that she said soccer but um, <laughs> she's like I'm trying to get him a jersey uh, what's the soccer team in London and she, you know she's saying this because she's used to American sports where it's like each city has a team right Right, right. And so yeah. she doesn't know that London has 223 teams <laughs> in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. but the cabbie was clearly an you're Arsenal in one fan. right now in this cab this is cab FC. <laughs> yeah, I'm the manager yeah. right. we're in the Basically. 17th division <laughs> truly we play Wrexham next week yeah, um, yeah 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 hurry up get your boots on and um and he was like ma'am there's only one football team in London and that's Arsenal and so she was like great now I'm gonna get an Arsenal jersey the you know the team in London um and she brought back a jersey and then it just kind of you know Henri and the Arsenal jersey, I think it just solidified it. And I just have been a Arsenal fan um, throughout. The, those early days were amazing. I mean, I was a fan, and then like two years later, we were invincible, and we were undefeated. Yeah. And I was like, oh, every season's going to be like I'm, this. I it made the amazing. right decision. Yo, yeah. This is great. I was like I'm picking, glad I picked the one team in London. <laughs> right. I'm glad I picked the, the one team in London. It's like picking – it's like not knowing anything about football and being like, I like the color of the – Patriots uniforms. Right, those, right. Seem, those seem nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> in the Tom Brady era. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I mean, I and I just, I, I just love, I love that team. I love the history of that club. I love um, the, what Arsene Wenger did. I love, you know, I think a few weeks ago, they celebrated that moment where they had, uh, Arsenal was the first team to have nine black players start a match at the same time which was more than had ever existed um in the premier league and and that team you know so so i think that was also a huge part of it um and and then over the last few years you know i mean the last several years have been have been rough um and and it's interesting because i like i remember wenger left how long ago three four years now 20 uh, 26 17 17 16 yeah. 17 something like that Man, I remember being like, I'm so tired of third place finishes. Like, we should be competing for the title. I'm so sick of these so second and third that place fourth finishes. Fourth place was a trophy. Now I'm like, Yo. I need a fourth place trophy right Bro, now. I'm, a, I'm an so Everton crazy. fan. So, third place would be, I mean, I'll, I'm, I want a parade for third place. Truly. <laughs> truly. Oh, man. Um, it's wild. You know, they tell you you never appreciate what you have until it's gone. But, but this might, you know, this is the year. I'm, again, I'm wary. It's still early. We're what, like ten games in, but they, they look good, man. They look yeah, they do. Real yeah, good. They, they very much do. Yeah, look, I, and I, it's exciting I, times. I, I remember reading. Uh, I read Arsene Wenger's uh, book, and and he has a very you know because uh, what's the joke, Alexis? Like uh, Arsene Wenger. Oh, Wenger. They say Wenger's a genius, but he's the only one who knew you were allowed to sign black players. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but his, when you hear him when you hear him uh, uh, talk about it uh, in the book, it's 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 like it's just like common sense. He, it's like. Yeah. He's like the common sense that is was that he wasn't racist. He was just like, yeah, these guys are good. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pick up some of these players. So he yeah, he, right. he had he had the foresight. Yeah, to, bring in players that are good. <laughs> you know what a concept. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but so absolutely fascinating, man. Um, Clint, uh, we uh, look. I mean, we have to get you back on, man, because there's too much uh, that that we didn't talk about. And you're welcome yeah. back anytime, man. But this is uh, been, when you write that book about Arsenal. 
definitely want to have you back on. There you we won. go. You need any quotes from us? We got you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll write the forward and crayon. Let's go. So funny. Uh, Clint Smith, uh, is there anything uh, specific you want to let people know about? Uh, you know, obviously they can find the book everywhere, but is there anything you got that you're looking forward to? You want to let people know about? Uh, feel um, free. Take care. The floor is yours. The Atlantic, where I'm a, I'm a writer, is doing a World Cup newsletter. Um, so we'll have a World Cup newsletter coming out, uh, I think, every day during the World Cup. Um, so keep a lookout for that. Uh, for me, I got a, a new book coming out in March of next year. Um, it's a collection of poetry. So I, I write prose. I write poetry. Um, and it's uh, about, like, fatherhood. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, who We didn't have time to talk about this, but I brought them to the Arsenal game in Baltimore a couple months ago during oh, the summer. We oh, we were there. Oh, we were there. Were you there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. snap. But like, it's, in, man, it's wild because my, my kids, like we have, you know, the, the Premier League is on all the time in the background on the weekends. And I think my kids, they, before this, they would be like, I'm so tired of soccer being on TV all the time. Put on Daniel Tiger. Put on Bluey. Like, what are we doing? Gracie's um, Corner, yeah. you know? Gracie's yeah. Corner, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to Alma, jam right Alma's now, way. Um, <laughs> and, and then I took them to the game in August and like it completely transformed their relationship to, to both soccer and Arsenal. Like my kid, my son is five years old and he left that day. He was like, this was the best day ever. Right. And it's just, wow. I mean, I think because it became more, so much more real to them, they were like, Oh, this isn't just a thing that's on the screen. Like there are real people who are like, and like, you know, he saw Bakayo Saka score, uh, in yeah. front of him, right? And so now it's like not just the person on dad's jersey. It's like, oh, this is a real person. And he had his hot dog and she had her chicken nuggets and they were screaming yeah. and dancing. And um, and it just, it reminded me of like when my dad used to take me to New Orleans Saints games when I was a kid. And it's like, I loved the Saints so much when I was a kid. And, you know, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, how much was it, how much of it was the Saints and how much of it was like, this was this time I spent with my dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, right, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, it ends, yeah. and it ends up being fused together, right? And that your love for the sport is also tied to the community that uh, you're a part of as you, like, engage with it. Um, but but it's been wild because now my son just, like, runs around screaming, like, Gabrielle Martinelli, um, you know, on week. He's like, Martinelli! And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so it's uh, it's been cool. And, like, they both have their little Arsenal jerseys. Um my wife now like is much more. She she watched the all all or nothing document, um, the documentary, yeah. and she's. I think she mostly watches because she thinks Mikel Arteta is like the handsomest man on earth. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, that is the one person I'll accept you thinking is more handsome than me. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fine. Um, but I uh, thought but I had now, a good hairline until he got on TV. Man, like, and the man, just bro, the I permanent mean... five o'clock shadows, just looking like yes, he's yeah. just that's a it's he's a handsome man. I can't deny it. Um, but now it's cool because like post documentary, post Arsenal game, like I feel like my family's on board in a way they weren't before. So um, shout out to preseason U.S. games, man. No, really dude, yeah, it's great. huge. Yeah, yeah, we got dude. Like... Your son's gonna be seven years old on Arsenal fan TV, and be like. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. Like, why is my son yelling Obama blood clot young? I'm like, why? Where'd he get this <laughs> yeah, from? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> he ain't even on the team no more, man. Uh, that's great. Uh, Clint, this has been so, so cool. And, and maybe uh, for the next book, if you, if you want to come back on the show, you're more uh, than welcome. This has been super, super cool. Absolutely honored to have you on the show. Uh, everybody, make uh, sure you follow uh, Clint on social media. I know you're big on Twitter. Uh, at yeah, Clint Smith. At Clint Smith the third. The third. Uh, so go for there it. Go. Clint, uh, seriously, absolutely honored. Uh, great meeting you, and, and thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate y'all. This was a lot of fun. Yo, shouts to Clint Smith. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. This, this has been our opening episode for the Cooligans World Cup Daily. If you there's, a, there's plenty of other shows, you know, plenty of World Cup shows, a lot of soccer shows, but there's not other ones where two comedians are hosting them. So if you want to enjoy uh, the World Cup and laugh a little bit, add some levity uh, to everything that's going on, please join us. We'll, we will be with you every single match day. So, uh, yeah, subscribe to the Cool Against podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. But uh, we will be with you throughout the World Cup. So if you're listening to this, you had a good time, let your friends know, hey, these two comics, they host this hilarious show. I laugh so much. I peed myself. I pooped myself. A little, maybe a mixture of the two. Okay. Mm, uh, nice little, nice little cocktail you got going on there. <laughs> okay. uh, but no, if you're wondering, like, hey, man, this was... Yeah, if you're wondering, like, yo, this was such a good time. I wonder when the next one is. It's tomorrow. We're going to be with you every day, basically. Okay. So come, come on. Through. We won't be. The, uh, Thanksgiving, we won't be around because, you know, you know right. our well, families are haters, bro. <laughs> hey, they hate our success. They don't want to see us thrive. Damn, bro. They don't want to see us win. You know what? It be your own people. <laughs> For real. Uh, all right. So. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. We will see you. Thank you again uh, for joining us. Again, shout out to Clint Smith. Make sure you follow him at Clint Smith the Third. Clint Smith, I I I on. Hey, Twitter. and if you in uh, if you're in Atlanta, come hang out with us at Park Tavern. Uh, well, we will be doing a free watch along for USA versus Wales. Uh, doors open at noon, I believe. Uh, so come out, check that out. Park Tavern in Atlanta. Party with the Cooligans, baby. Oh, all right. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.